Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. This is the John Oakley Show podcast. Growing cannabis. We know that it's become, I guess, perceived at least to be a lucrative practice. I don't know. I've got uh, mixed reports because some of these growers have actually met hard times themselves. So uh, we do have some instances where uh, there are going to be relaxed rules when it comes to purchasing cannabis products uh, online or over the phone for in-store pickup, according to the government in their fall economic statement that came out on Wednesday. And uh, then I see as well that our friend Drake... The hip-hop star is uh, actually joining up with Canopy Growth. Canopy Growth is one of the bigger suppliers here in uh, this country. Anyway, they've cobbled together a number of uh, co-pros, if you will, relationships, joint ventures, you know, if you'll pardon the pun. And Drake is just the latest, I guess, with Snoop Dogg, Martha Stewart's in there as well, Seth Rogen. So what is the lay of the land when it comes to the whole cannabis industry? Let's find out. We get an update now. Mitchell Osak has joined us on the line, consulting partner based here in Toronto and leader of MNP LLP Cannabis Consulting. Mitchell, good to have you on the Oakley Show. Good afternoon. Great to be here again, John. I appreciate you coming back. So uh, where do we stand now with the uh, landscape? Because the government announcing in their fall economic statement, they're going to, I guess, uh, facilitate access, and they're promising uh, to increase the number of retail outlets to 75. Uh, Are we making progress? We are making progress, albeit very slow progress, but... The truth is uh, we're headed in the right direction. It's just a question of how quickly we can get there. All right. Well, you know, I mean, people have always wondered why it wasn't sort of uh, a bigger rollout, like right off the hop, and it's been done incrementally. And seemingly for the first year anyway, the answer was, well, supply couldn't be maintained uh, to meet the demand. Where are we now? I heard inventory. In some cases, uh, it's backed up. That's correct. It's been rising for the past three or four months. Um, that is uh, to satisfy two major demands. One is the onset of the legalization of edibles, which technically happened on October 17th. And the second reason was to sort of fill up the stores with smokable weed, which has been uh, introduced as we've been going along. So on a product supply perspective, the industry is looking very good. On the demand side, it's also looking very good. The question now is, do we have the right pricing and the right number of retail stores, particularly in key markets, to be able to uh, uh, take all of that weed and get it to market? But Mitchell, when you say the right number of retail stores, uh, some people were anticipating that this was going to be anybody who wanted to open up a shop and uh, met certain criteria would be allowed to do so, and the supply would be there. And that would kind of uh, leaven prices right across the board as well. Uh, How come we're not there yet? Well, we're not there for a couple of reasons. So if you look at in Ontario, um, under the Wynn government, it was going to be an all-public cannabis retail model, much like the LCBO. The Wynn government uh, did not win the last election, and the Ford government came in. They completely pivoted 180 degrees to an all-private sector retail model, similar to what we see in Alberta. To be able to make that shift, that took a lot of resources and a lot of effort from the government to set up 
for a private sector retail model. And be partially because of that and for other reasons, uh, we've been getting off the ground a lot slower in Ontario. But we are picking up some speed. We still have a ways to go compared to Alberta, who have close to 300 stores in operation today. All right, so what you're saying is the retail model, uh, it may be shape-shifting. I'm still hearing in the wind that perhaps uh, there's going to be a hybrid model and default in part to the LCBO type of model. Um, I've heard rumblings of that. That could potentially be true uh, because the LCBO has you know, a footprint, I believe, of almost 600 stores. So one way the province of Ontario can ramp up access is to piggyback on the LCBO. There could be some major issues associated from a regulatory perspective with doing that, not to mention cost, because now all of a sudden the public sector is involved. I am heartened by the announcement just recently by the Ford government to allow online sales and click-and-pick sales at, at specific stores. I believe that will also drive more volume and more revenue through the up to 75 retail stores that will be available by the end of this year. Right. Well, who knows? It'll be maybe Uber pot deliveries before too long as well. But, uh, <laughs> of course... That, that, that's in the cards in, in a number of markets. So that couldn't happen sooner as far as you know, getting more business away from uh, the black market and towards the legal market. By the way, uh, is the black market really being uh, impacted now? Well, it, it's hard to say because it's under the hood and we don't really have full visibility into it. The black market isn't and wasn't stupid. So uh, when legalization happened, they did what any rational industry player would do. They ended up dropping their price. And, and as some people would know, not me, uh, they, did in, they did have assets advantages regarding convenience and quality of product and so on and so forth. So the black market has held their own. They're, they're currently supplying about 80% of all consumption in Canada right now across the country. But as quality improves in the market, as you get more retail access and more options to buy the product, plus lower pricing, we expect the black market market share to decline, much like it has done in, in markets like Colorado, which have been around for about five years in a legalized state. My understanding is the government's legal product, the price point has also come down. Yes, it has. All right. Uh, somewhere along the line, will the two meet? And therefore, I mean, the legal uh, stuff would see seemingly supplant or that 80 percent uh, still going the illicit market would come down dramatically. Again, Mitchell Osak is with us, consulting partner here in Toronto and the leader of MNPLLP Cannabis Consulting. Let me ask you about uh, this uh, collaborative effort between, well, Celebrities Drake, just the latest announcing that uh, a subsidiary of Canopy Growth is going to, uh, he gets 60 points on that, by the way, they take 40. Uh, and they're talking about the new venture called More Life Growth Company, centered around wellness, discovery, and overall personal growth. Boy, as a branding exercise, that sounds rather attractive. What do you make of these celebrity endorsements, or I guess they're getting in bed with these uh, producers? Well, um, there's two ways of looking at it. Uh, one way is, does it make sense for the licensed producer? And what we've seen from a variety of these different deals, and I'm not talking about any of the canopy deals, we can talk about Gene Simmons, who is affiliated with Invictus at a certain point, and the Tragically Hip, that was affiliated with Up Cannabis. Truth of the matter is, um, those endorsements have not led to significant business gains for any of the licensed producers. If you look at where the market is today, um, it's down over 50% versus its highs of about six to nine months ago. So 
in, in my humble opinion, and the, mar- and the stock markets are, are talking, these haven't been you know, huge winners. What's interesting is if you look at Canopy's stock price today, it's down about 2% uh, as of about 15 minutes ago. So it doesn't look like the markets are fully endorsing this deal. Um, from a, from a, the perspective of Drake, I think it's a terrific deal for him. Well, yeah, boy, that's a great update you just gave us 15 minutes ago. Uh, that's real contemporary uh, because my understanding was this uh, canopy growth, uh, actually uh, it had a bump to the upside by 3% in early trading after the announcement from Drake. Yes, and then it's fallen. Um, I wouldn't say it's necessarily falling because of the Drake deal, but we would have expected one of the largest uh, cannabis companies in Canada signing a major deal with one of the biggest brands and one of the biggest musicians in the world to at least be flat, if not give it a 5 to 10% lift, and that hasn't happened. So in general, uh, again, you just mentioned where uh, you know some of the people who have actually gotten involved, uh, tragically hip, Gene Simmons from Kiss and that, uh, hasn't really been a lot of upside. As a matter of fact, it's going in the other direction. Why are some licensed producers actually going broke or out of business, if I've got it right? Oh, uh, that's a huge question. I don't think uh, you have enough time in the day to fully uh, unpack it. There's a variety of reasons. I mean, one can say the the restrictions, the regulatory restrictions around branding and so on are prohibitive for for licensed cultivators and make it very difficult for them to make product claims or to promote their product in any meaningful way. That makes it difficult to sell the product or communicate your value to a consumer. So that is one major way. Um, I would say number two is that it's very difficult to grow cannabis in 500,000 or a million square feet greenhouses, which is where a lot of the stuff is being grown right now. In the old days with the black market, they're, they're maybe being grown in the middle of a cornfield in about one acre. Now try and growing that stuff in northern Alberta outside of Edmonton in a million square feet. And I don't want to pick on anybody in particular, but that's extremely difficult to do. The third reason is uh, what you alluded to a little earlier, John, is that getting out of the gate, there were some challenges in product supply. The producers didn't know what was going to sell, and the consumers didn't really know what was going to be available. Over time, that will right-size itself, but at least in the first you know, six to nine months, it was a learning activity for all the parties involved. And so finally, uh, with edibles having just come out, uh, now being legalized as well, I'm guessing they're accessing new markets with some folks, you know, maybe resistant to smoking or, you know, I don't know as a social thing too, but uh, edibles seems to make it, you know, palatable for those who may heretofore not have wanted to smoke anything. That's absolutely correct. What we've seen in other U.S. markets uh, where edibles have been legal for a while, like California or Colorado, is that edibles expand consumption, and they expand it through different formats and different ways that people can consume. You can, you can eat a gummy bear inside of a, uh, an office, but you can't smoke a joint inside of an office. And at the same time, edibles bring in other market segments that were a little reluctant to smoke, and I'm talking about baby boomers, Gen X folks, um, senior citizens, and so on, who find it more palatable and easier to consume a product through an edible or topical than it is through smoking. Do you think these retail outlets, by the way, because I've had discussions with friends, and uh, they're saying these dispensaries, you know, with a lot of overhead and so on and so forth, if things can be done online and delivered, uh, that will not... Uh, that's a bad business model to have these people in, you know, certain places with all the overhead that's required and taxes and yada, yada, yada. Uh, so what's their future? 
retail, the retail cannabis industry, when it finally becomes mature, and that, that moment is approaching very quickly in Alberta, will end up being like any retail operation, which, which in my opinion will be, you, you'll have a few that will be exceedingly successful and do a terrific job and, and retain clients and so on and so forth. And you'll have a lot of operations that will fall by the wayside because they never had um, good management or they never uh, were based in a good location. What I like about the online and sort of that click and pick model is that it gives consumers more choice. And anytime you get more choice, particularly with millennials and so on that are much more comfortable with buying online than older segments are, um, nothing bad can come out of that. The question is, how does the, how does the retailer optimize its operations and how it goes to market to target different groups of people who want to buy this product. Some will want to come in, uh, like neophytes, who want to look at the product and learn more about it, and others who know exactly what they, what they want will enjoy the convenience of clicking online, buying it, and showing up to the store and picking it up. That's what we're seeing in a lot of markets like Colorado, where that click-and-pick um, capability is responsible in some cases for 20 or 30% of their business. Sure. I mean, it a transaction where you don't even have to put pants or shoes on and somebody comes to the door. It's uh, a nice way to go. By the way, uh, I appreciate the update as always, Mitchell. We'll stay on top of things as they evolve. They continue to, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Thanks, John. Stay warm. <laughs> okay, thank you. Uh, Mitchell Osak, consulting partner based here in Toronto and the leader of MNPLLP Cannabis Consulting. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.